everyone and welcome to Darkly Lit. Tonight we let the light of the full moon guide us through the evening to find what gives All Hallows Eve its power. I am your host Kayla King. I am joined by my other two amazing co-hosts, Sade. I wasn't always a dentist. <laughs> and David. This episode is dedicated to the memory of John Carp. <laughs> <laughs> Who Apparently uh, had a tombstone made for him. Anyway. We just finished reading The Halloween Moon by Joseph Fink of Welcome to Night Vale fame. And David, you want to give the summary? I'll keep try to keep this one brief, much like the book itself. So The Halloween Moon is the story of Esther Gold, a 13-year-old Jewish girl who lives in Southern California. She loves Halloween more than just about everything in the whole world and anticipates it every year. Unfortunately, this is the year where her parents tell her she's too old to go trick-or-treating. She just had her bat mitzvah, and uh, she's an adult now. And, of course, Esther is not keen on the idea of things changing. She thinks change is scary and uh, doesn't like the idea of anything happening. Halloween is that great sense of nostalgia for her, and that's a big part of it. While this is going on, there's been an, a background theft of some item from this private collection of a, a weird collector... It seems redundant, but you know how it is. So this collector who have these strange artifacts, uh, one of his items is stolen. And uh, this factors into the plot hugely when, for reasons that are not super clear, Halloween night just kind of stops. The moon inexplicably stops uh, rising in the sky and time seems to slow to a crawl and weird things start happening on this Halloween that seemingly lasts forever. Esther decides to with help from her best friend, uh, Augustine, uh, sneak out, after, despite her parents forbidding her to trick-or-treat, and do one last hurrah. But, yeah, it's the same night that everything goes awry, and suddenly she, Augustine, and her bully, Sasha Min, are the only people awake uh, during this, as everybody else is mysteriously falling asleep, Children, uh, other children around the neighborhood are disappearing, and ragged trick-or-treaters are wandering the streets, along with a pair of scary ice cream trucks driven by weird people who throw pumpkins and razor-blade-filled apples, in my opinion, one of the coolest parts of the book. <laughs> um, it's up to Esther, her two friends, and uh, the unassuming dentist who lives across the street to save the day, and through a lot of un unusual trials and tribulations, they learn that What's actually happening is the Queen of Halloween, who rules this world called the Dream of Halloween, uh, some place adjacent but not connected entirely to our world, is causing the two worlds to bleed together and is forcing time to stop so that she has ultimate power basically forever. It all kind of falls on them to set things right. Will they do it? Well, you read the book. It does. Hopefully you read the book. Uh, and we can talk more about that, but... How's that? How's that for a summary? <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, what did you guys all think of this book? Uh, I will say this book is meant for a middle grade. Yeah, it definitely felt like a young, young reader's book. 
So, like, going into that, you know, I was like, I wasn't expecting to be, like, be really super hooked or super invested, but it was still, like, a fun read. The story was fun. If you like Halloween, mm-hmm. I think you'll like the book. Oh, yeah. I think that's the best way to describe it. It's cute. I think after reading, I'm like, this is cute. There is a couple moments that felt very welcome to Night Vale, like, the, which I think are the best moments, like, when Esther is asleep and she has that whole surreal, repetitious moment of continuously trick-or-treating, getting a better costume, her neighbor's house getting more and more elaborate as it usually is. Different parts of it with with that dream sequence where she's, like, all these, like, great Halloween she's having, and then also with, like, the part where being led by the black cat at one point, too. I, I got a lot of Coraline vibes. Okay, I've never read Coraline, but I watched the, <laughs> the Leica movie. So I got Coraline vibes from some of it. And there was also something else that it kept reminding me of, but I can't remember now. If, it'll, if it comes back, I'll let you know. The one thing I will say about this book, weirdly enough, I wish it was more Halloween-y, if that makes sense. Like, did it feel like it veered into more middle grade fantasy and less like yeah. dripping with Halloween atmosphere? The way it read to me was kind of like the way like a modern kid would look at Halloween and not dripping with that vintage nostalgia of Halloween, you know? For Esther, like seeing classic zombie parts on a lawn is very indicative of the holiday, which it is. But mm-hmm. I mean, like when I think of something that really encapsulates the magic of Halloween and fiction, I think of, you know, classic fall vibe. I think of uh, the Halloween tree. I think of over the garden wall. I think of things that have like this Halloween energy. This has Halloween energy, but the fact that it's set in Southern California, I think actually gives it that um, a little bit of a uh, like this is Halloween, but as viewed through like the lens of these like middle schoolers who are growing up in essentially Thousand Oaks or whatever. It it focuses on the trick or treat part of Halloween more than anything, I feel like. Right, because that, well, that's what a kid's going to be most focused on, generally. True. But, but like, the Halloween tree was also kind of focused on trick-or-treating, at least at the beginning. But then it delved We'll talk into, about that someday. Yeah, but it delved into a bunch of other parts of Halloween, and it became more than just trick-or-treating. Plus, it drips with fall atmosphere, which, you're right, I think setting it in Southern California, which it makes sense because Joseph Fink is originally born in Southern California. That's how where he grew up. Mm-hmm. But setting it there for a Halloween story just... As a California native, I kind of liked it because <laughs> it's like I always wanted Halloween to feel more like I'd seen it in movies and things like that where it actually we actually have a defined fall look. And Southern California doesn't really have that. And reading this made me actually think about how Halloween's felt for me as a kid growing up in a neighborhood in Orange County. People try, but there's something not quite... It made me feel like how I felt to trick-or-treat as a kid, where you have the expectation about how Halloween should feel with magic and mystery, and it's just kind of there. Not to take away from it, but Halloween always felt special, and then there was always a point in the night where I'm wandering around and going like, this is just... There's a plasticness to this, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. There's a artificial, there's a candy corn feeling to this. Ew. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> it's like, I love the fact that the book said you don't like actually like candy corn. It's more what it evokes than what it mm. actually is. Mm-hmm. Candy corn is not good candy. It's more what it represents. Like, that's a really deep way of saying like, when I was a kid, Halloween did mean something and trick-or-treating was special. But in Southern California, it never quite felt like how Halloween was supposed to feel you know but it was still halloween it's interesting like i i could relate okay i see that because uh my prime halloween years were actually
actually spent in like the Portland, Oregon area. I moved here when I was 10. It, it was only like a few years and then I was like, okay, no more trick-or-treating after mm-hmm. that. I did get the whole fall experience with trees and leaves falling and all that in the autumn feel. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. I'm just, yeah, I just wanted to offer my perspective of him, you know, having grown up here. How about you, Say? Um, I didn't have any issue with, with it being Southern Lake, California because I've never experienced Halloween down there. Actually, I did experience one Halloween down there but it was, I spent it at Disneyland. Um, <laughs> but I did get to see, like, walk around a neighborhood, you know, like, the night prior, or I think it was, and, and just kind of see some of, the, like, the decorations where there there is that one, like, few neighbors that, like, really go all out, um, at least in the neighborhood that I got to walk around. So that was cool to see. Just, like, yes, it didn't feel like fall too much when I was down there, but there was still that element of, like, okay, some people do really enjoy this holiday. And despite that plasticky feel, we'll go as go all out as as I can you know another thing too is uh even though it says southern california uh dave and i were actually able to figure out where in southern california because this is not la county or at least it's not anywhere in the city this is absolutely a suburb and there is a i I forget which ravine it's described as but uh i came to realize this is thousand oaks yeah so this is really suburban southern california well yeah again the the thing i could relate to was like with esther esther only knew like basically what was in her like area of cul-de-sacs and track homes Mm -hmm. you know so it absolutely felt like halloween felt for me as a kid and you could only you only got the quality of what your neighbor's good you couldn't go out and find like a good homemade haunted house unless you happen to live near one you know and that was always exciting because you you'd find the house that gave out the best candy or you'd find the house that got the most into it with decorations or, you know, the one that did the homemade haunt in its uh, backyard with trash bags and you know, lean tos, basically. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I just wanted more like spooky parts of Halloween like this. It, I feel like this focused more on the trick or treating dreamy side of Halloween and there isn't like witches or skeletons mm. or i think i know what you mean because like there was like earlier on you know like oh she's describing her love for halloween and the love for like wearing your costume to school when you were a kid and whatnot like that that felt halloween to, like you know very young halloween to me like I, I missed that those but then when it came to like now we're in the the dream of halloween the that did not feel like Halloween to me. It just felt like this otherworldly weird plane. But the elements that they like, just like different things they introduced in there, didn't feel like Halloween. The only Halloween part was like when they were following the black cat. Yeah. It felt more like a fantasy world. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe if that's because if I think of like a, a Halloween world, my mind maybe goes to Halloween Town. Yes. From Nightmare Before Christmas. So maybe that's what I was expecting more of. If we're going to go into a dream of Halloween, I want I want witches and vampires having tea together. I guess I don't know. Maybe yeah. now I'm also going into that other movie, Halloween Town. Well, basically I was expecting Halloween Town a la Nightmare Before Christmas with a mix of Disney Channel's Halloween Town. Yeah. I feel like that really, yeah. those feel like I guess- Halloween to me. Yeah, I guess the dream of Halloween didn't feel like a dream of Halloween. It felt like a dark fantasy world with a little bit of like Alice in Wonderland whimsicalness to it. Mm -hmm. Like when they go to Eileen's house and it's like combination mud thatch hut with modern amenities. I did like some of the like things that they discuss that are never fully explored, like the lumberjacks of the screaming forest 
or that communicate primarily through smell or um, the fact that Eileen had to give up two years of laughter in order to afford that place. That was kind of neat. I do kind of like some of the unspoken rules of this world that we never learn. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite add up. And that's the that's the night veil part. That's the part that's the night veil bleeding. Through. Yeah. <laughs> the stuff I do like is also, I guess the things that normally aren't touched upon in um middle grade novels but i'm glad to see it here like for example the main character is a jewish young girl and i think this is one of the few times where someone like a jewish writer actually explains like the difficulties that came growing up jewish in a predominantly non-jewish neighborhood david and i were actually talking about this because there are plenty of in famous Jewish writers out there. I mean, R.L. Stein is probably one of the most famous Jewish horror authors ever. But I think this is the first time where it's like, no, the main character is Jewish and she does deal with bullying because of that. I think, yeah. Well, I would say I think it's interesting because from her perspective, we not only get, we get to kind of see how she views the sort of microaggressions that come with her being Jewish, but also the way that people don't see it that way. Again, it, it's a thing, but it's also not a thing. That comes up a lot. Yeah, she says it's important, but it's not important at the same time. Well, even the way kids are casually, like, cruel to each other, but don't realize it. Like, I think the moment that describes sort of the reason she and Sasha Min had a falling out early in their relationship with each other was because the very first, one of the very first things Sasha said to her was like, why did you guys murder Jesus? And it wasn't brought out of any sense of animosity, and the book makes it clear. It's just something that a child who doesn't know any other is going to ask someone else, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. who is Jewish. And of course, Esther's like, we didn't. And Sasha's like, nah, you did. And after that, it just set them up for, you know, that kind of thing. And we could get into to that a little bit. But I like how when it comes to that part, it just says for both of them, they're both t- caught in something, tangled in something bigger and messier than they really understand. That they could possibly comprehend at their ages. Yeah, exactly. Another thing I like about this, I feel too many teen books tend to focus on them growing up way too fast. Like, oh, I now, I want to go to high school. I can't wait to fall in love and get a boyfriend. And it usually focuses on that sort of thing. And it's kind of nice to see a character who's, afraid of that or is a, is afraid to have things change yeah i mean it's not hard to deconstruct in this book that overarchingly this is about kind of you know the fear of growing up mm-hmm. and what what it comes with and facing that and realizing that change is not necessarily a good thing it's not necessarily a bad thing but it is a necessary thing what's worse changing or being stuck in one place the fact that the main antagonist of the book and the very theme is wanting to keep things one way forever with no change is, you know, a big sign that like ultimately changes what needs to happen and change can be good. It's a part of life. For, it's part of life. Yeah. yeah. And you could face it with trepidation or you could face it with knowing that you will probably find good in that. With a middle grade novel, you kind of have to wear the message of your book on your sleeve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's true, but I think it does it in a good way that is understandable. Kids can relate to... No, yeah, I think the, like, just the overall message, like, it's it's very, it's plainly there. But I think it's also, it's not, like, so shoved in your face. I think it was handled very well. You get the sense, like, she's, and like Kayla said, 
nice to have a character that doesn't want to grow up, that loves Halloween and wants to keep trick-or-treating, because that, that was me. I didn't want to stop <laughs> trick-or-treating. I remember the last time I went trick-or-treating with my friends, we were like, no, we have to wait until it gets dark, because then it's ideal, like, trick-or-treating time. But by then, everyone was, like, done handing out candy. And I was like, what? It was so disappointing. So, like, mm. I really felt that stuff there. Not wanting to grow up, not wanting to become an adult. Like, we know now that it really sucks. But, like, I think it had a really, like, lovely message of, like, don't be afraid to change. And, yes, it's a necessary part of life. It's not always great. But I think if you go at it with that perspective of, like, of making the most of it, of just, like, being accepting that, you know, can you need to change and you need to learn and experience new things. And I think that makes the changes, even the scary ones, like, easier to overcome. I don't think I have, this book might be a little too young for my cousin, who I normally will be like, hey, you should read this. Might be too young for her, but like, actually, I have other cousins that are younger that I I feel like this would be a good read for for most kids. I feel like I could give this to my nieces at some point, and I think they would enjoy it. Oh, yeah, your your nieces are almost going to, one of them is going to be, I think, 12 Uh, soon. 12 soon, yeah, so this is perfect for her. Mm -hmm. If it helps, uh, technically the last time I quote-unquote trick-or-treated was when I was 18. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Fun fun fact, so uh, a friend of mine said, hey, do you want to go trick-or-treating with me? And I said, aren't we a little too old? And she says, no, I know everybody in my neighborhood and... Uh, they would be totally cool if we went up to their doors and t- yeah, asked for candy. And I said, okay. And yeah, basically everybody's like, oh, hi, Katie. How are you? Oh, this is your friend here. Have some candy. Like they <laughs> all knew her well enough. That's awesome. For me, I, I when my little cousin was still young enough, I, I was like, I'll take her trick-or-treating. Don't worry about it. I'll take her. You stay home. And so that was my way of <laughs> trick-or-treating a couple more times. But yeah. What David and I do every Halloween now is we just dress up and then walk into the night. We don't go at anyone's doors. Mm-hmm. We just walk through the like streets or on the sidewalks, just enjoying Halloween. Yeah. Um, occasionally, we walk the dog while we do this. Uh, one time we did that and they were like, hey, are you adults? And we're like, yeah. Do you want beer? <laughs> we, we passed a, a, a like a house party that was going on and they were just chilling on their patio watching, I think like. It was uh, Freaks. They were, yeah, they were watching Todd Browning's oh, Freaks. Nice. I'll tell you this much. I enjoyed, I, the more, the older I got, the more I enjoyed Halloween. And I think as an adult, I enjoy Halloween the most because I can make it my own mm-hmm. thing instead of having to be stuck with that plasticine Halloween of my youth, you know? Yeah. You find ways to make it your own. Yeah, exactly. If I were a character in this book, I'd be, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Mr. Winchell. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the guy yep. the guy who goes all out and sets up his yard to be really cool and stuff. That's that's me. Like, And I like the idea that Esther's like, can I help you set this up next year? I hope in one of Esther's possible futures, she's that person who sets up one of those elaborate home haunts that um you know people go out of their way to like drive out and see if they live in like you know the la area Mm -hmm. that's the future i want for her in that possible future and that was by the way i really love that moment when she's seeing the way her life could be after she dives into that black sea and the dreaming which i think is like you know obviously the sea of change it's surreal uh, again, the good parts are surreal. I just wish they were more Halloweeny surreal. You know what? My, I, I'll say this right now. One of my f- absolute favorite bits in the book that I think is really imaginative is actually Dan, Dan Eppel, 
because I love, he has an ice cream truck full of apples. When he grabs the apples, they just spawn razor blades mm-hmm. and he throws them at people like projectiles. That's the coolest fucking shit. I did appreciate that. I love that it's symbolic of the like hidden danger that comes with Halloween mm-hmm. that are the stories that people tell about hidden danger. Because you got the scummy pumpkin truck of his brother, which is like obvious, but then you got him being clean cut, but really fake. And here are these clean cut apples full of these deadly razor blades that he throws like freaking shurikens it's rad as hell i love it i love the symbol i i've never heard anybody take that that angle of that urban legend and make it into some make a fantasy element out of that so that was like my favorite bit i did really enjoy uh dan's character i think well so i i think you guys both read the book because you bought a copy while you were visiting yes i listened to the audiobook because i love kevin arfrey um, and I also, to save me time, so I can work and, re- and listen at the same time. How was the audiobook before? Uh, it was lovely. It was very enjoyable. Kevin does just different voices for all the characters. He also does, for Dan, he did his, his voice that he used for Kevin from Welcome to Nightville. <gasps> so yes. I was like, oh, I love this character just because of the voice you gave him. But then he's like, clean cut, and the, the apples, and the, then the razor blades and the apples. I was like, oh, I, I love this character. And then I also, I did like, uh, his uh, his kind of like farewell to oh my god I forgot the character's name let me character's name yes. Esther, he, where he's like hey if you ever wanted to rule the dream of Halloween you know hit me up maybe I'd uh, be your advisor or something I don't know I liked his character he was enjoyable yeah me too my favorite character was Mr. Gabler um or Gabler I think it's, it's Mr. Gabler, Gabler I think I also did really like him when. And they start hinting at like, oh, how does he know how to scale the side of a house? I was like, oh man, this guy's done some shady shit. Yeah. And I loved how they tied that back to the the robbery at the beginning. That's a part I didn't catch that coming. The Bennington guy, yeah, yeah, that was cool. And actually, the fact that he was also involved in the theft of the the moon rock, mm-hmm. the MacGuffin of this story. Yes. That the stuff about the moon is really cool. There's a lot of neat little hints of mysticism in here that don't need to that aren't super important to like concentrate on but i did i did like it fair amount also the trick-or-treaters the idea of like the scary trick-or-treaters was neat mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. that did that thinking about it now it's because i also have it in the back of my head because i keep i'm eager to watch it again this year i have my favorite halloween movie that i watch every year which is trick-or-treat mm-hmm. great movie love that movie the creepy trick-or-treaters remind me of the undead trick-or-treaters and that and then even with dan's apple with the razor blades in it sam at the end has they they do um he has that candy that he almost kills the old man mm-hmm. with that had the razor blade in it. Right. So there's some fun, some fun stuff there then that I enjoyed. Giant scarecrow trick-or-treater that is never explained. <laughs> Do we want to ask some questions? It, it, there isn't much to talk about with this book. We touched a little bit. I mean, we don't have to deal with the interpersonal relationships too much. I thought the stuff, I'll say the stuff, I thought the reconciliation between Sasha and Esther was actually handled really well. Like the situation making them realize that what they were doing was basically just to each other was Mm -hmm. basically kind of motivated by years of misunderstanding. And again, the prevalence of racial and, you know, societal stereotypes, unfortunately. And also like Esther's relationship with uh, Augustine, Mm -hmm. I thought was handled well. It was cute. Luckily, it was hinted at very early yeah. that they had feelings for each other. Mm-hmm. Another scary thing about change, though. Here's someone you grew up with, and suddenly you have feelings for that person, but you also don't really want that to change. You kind of do, but you kind of don't. Yeah. Also, from the point of view of, like, a 13-year-old 
starting to have feelings rather than, oh, we've been friends and we're 18 years old and yeah, I don't want to be in the friend zone type of story. Uh-huh, uh-huh, exactly. Uh, yeah, okay, it was cute. It was my least favorite part. I don't know. They, like, it got to the part where, like, and then she kissed and I was like, ew. <laughs> I was like, I was like nine in that part. I was like, ew. <laughs> now, if it were if it were gay, if it, <laughs> then you know my reaction gay, would be different. completely different. Cause I'm trash like that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. If Esther were Ezra, <laughs> yes, then it would be a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> then this would be one of my favorite Halloween books. Is what it would be. <laughs> then it would then it would be then it would be a, a, a nice like coming out story. Yeah next day it would be on here it's like so this is about ezra gold best halloween story ever <laughs> yo uh hey hey gang there's plenty of room to write more gay halloween stories about yes. and have them be sweet stories about you know young children coming to terms with their their burgeoning sexuality their burgeoning queerness like cemetery boys. yeah i was about cemetery to say cemetery boys. boys like they uh the, the author just opened a online shop so if you want some cemetery boys merch like go check that out yeah, i want to buy it i don't know what i want <sighs> there's actually actually there's one shirt that looks cool that i kind of want can i get a shirt that's just the uh the graffiti about how uh, transphobics have no teeth <laughs> remember that yes that would actually be really cool <laughs> if you could like get like a legit good design graffiti design yeah you get that it's just the whole quote that um is on the wall where they hang out uh, sorry we're getting to a different <laughs> Uh, do we do we want to go to the reader questions? Yeah, actually, one of the questions that gets addressed, I want to talk about as well. Bringer of Light says, what or who is Mr. Nathaniels? He has to be human, right? They leave that completely unaddressed. I kind of love that. Where it's like, okay. Me too. They, they, it just leaves it with like, oh, they always like avoid him now. Because like if the queen was afraid of him, then they don't want to mess with him. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I They don't imply anything. I don't know what he is. I don't think he's human, but I love it. Because one of his weird quirks is that he washes his car every single day and then wastes so much water. And then it turns out he's washing it with seawater. It's like, who is this man? Why does he do this? And we don't get that answer. I have a theory about Mr. Nathaniel. Okay. I was thinking about this. I think he was a past king of Halloween. Oh. Eileen... The Black Cat talks about how there have been several rulers of Halloween in the past, even before the Queen. I think Mr. Nathaniel is a retired ruler of Halloween, a former monarch who is now living just a normal life in the suburbs. Possibly. That's my best theory. And if I had to guess, his the water he's spraying from his hose has some connection with the water from the dream, the sea mm-hmm. from the dream. That's the best I can come up with, personally. Because if he knows what's going on and he knows about the Queen... And my best guess is that he was a previous ruler who either stepped away willingly or was dethroned and now doesn't want anything to do with that shit. It honestly could be any of those things. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was a neat detail and, I, and I'm with you. I like that it's never explained. But the mystery be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't hinder the story for not knowing or like for knowing it or not mm-hmm. knowing it. And I like that it kind of like, cause normally like you get to the end of this kind of story and everything's back to normal. There's no more connection to the magic, but it kind of like leaves like, oh, there's this... There's this bit of this magic still in the world, you know, like it's not, it didn't go away. It's still like present there. Mm-hmm. Bring your second question is, um, what's your favorite ha- Halloween candy as a kid? Same Halloween candy as now, Skittles. Wait, does that count? Because it's just, that, is Halloween candy candy you specifically get on Halloween? No, it's Skittles counts. Skittles are like my favorite candy ever. For me, it was always the Snickers. <laughs> 
I would uh, try to barter. You know, you would barter with your siblings or your cousins that you went trick-or-treating with and be like, hey, I'll trade you all these Kit Kats for your Snickers or whatnot. So, fun fact, um, I did not eat candy from the ages of three till ten years old. Really? Really. So, three-year-old kid, me, basically had a dentist say, you know, candy's going to make your teeth rot out. And there would be, like, TV shows saying, candy's going to make you fat. And, like, it was just everything bad about candy. So as a young child, I'm thinking to myself, well, then why should I eat candy if it's just just turn me into an ugly creature? (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't until I must have been, like, 10 or 11 when I finally, I can't even remember what my first candy was uh, or what happened, but I just started eating it and now I, I love sugar and it's like why did I ever give this up what's wrong with <laughs> me but I would say now it's Reese's peanut butter cups mm. like that is my favorite Halloween candy I want to revise my answer sure because I just thought about it and I was thinking there is one candy I only eat around Halloween because that's the only time I ever really see it available sweet tarts I can see that I know people are like oh those little gross chalky things don't you dare <laughs> <laughs> those those are eponymous with uh for Halloween in my mind that and Tootsie Rolls, sadly, which I do not like. Um, I do like Sweet Tarts, though. Sweet Tarts aren't bad. I, I, I'll enjoy some Sweet Tarts now and again. Yeah. That's my favorite candy that I specifically correlate with Halloween. And then uh, we got a, a question from um, Dan. He also had a, uh, a Halloween-related question. He said, which Halloween costume are you all most proud of? Oh. Back in two, I want to say, I want to say like 2007 or 2008. I decided to put together that uh, caretaker costume for the first time. <laughs> that was a Halloween costume that I, I put together. And that's the one I'm most proud of. Because if I hadn't been wearing it, I might not have had the intrinsic connection I, I formed with Kayla when I bumped into her over at uh, WonderCon when I wore it as a cosplay. You're being so cutesy. <laughs> Actually, mine is fairly recent. From It was only from a few years ago. The costume I made for um, Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, because um, I actually got the wig. I had Frankenstein gloves with Frankenstein writing on it. But one of my favorite pieces is I got an anatomical heart necklace that I wrapped with pieces of paper that had Percy Shelley's writings on it. Because <laughs> for those who don't know, Mary Shelley kept her husband's calcified heart wrapped up in his poems in her pocket <laughs> yeah that's metal that's 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 romance man that's the love that i want to find that's my kind of love <laughs> yeah this this is also the same woman who lost her virginity on her um mother's grave that's also true yep <laughs> uh mary shelley is rad and actually yeah that costume is really fucking cool mm-hmm. i think for me i because i went for a few years without dressing up uh for halloween because i wasn't well no, I would dress up here and there, but nothing like super thought out. Um, so I think my most recent costume from last year, which no one got to see except for a few people online and you guys, was because uh, of the, the wolf mask that I had made. Oh, uh, I'm very yes. proud of that mask, Jill. I actually have it mounted on my wall behind me above my, <laughs> my workbench. So it, so it looks down at the, the rest of my space. And uh, my friend's like, it looks like you're a werewolf hunter now. <laughs> it's yes. just this wolf head mounted on my wall. So cool. It is an amazing costume. It was great getting to see it in person, too. So. Oh, yeah, you guys did get to see it in person. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> and then he also had a question about the book. What parts did you find spooky? This book skews a little young for me, but the stuff about the giant scarecrow was pretty unnerving. Well, like I said, the part I found badass was the apple thing. But it was just in a spooky, it was a spooky way. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and the, the dream sequence, particularly when it, I, the dream sequence I thought was the spookiest part, just because it, the, the way it read so much like a dream with it so much shuddering around in time and the constant like background presence of the moon and the, the, the bleak dreamscape trying to bleed into the fantasy of this, this dream. I like that. I thought that was very creepy. I think, uh, the apple part, but not the razor blades in the apple. It's when he's chucking it back and forth in his hands and it's describes like he's bleeding, but doesn't even notice. It, and you're like, ah, yeah, that's I felt right. the discomfort there. Uh huh. I don't know. I get my, it wasn't spooky to me. A lot of them, like, <laughs> you know me, I, the, the apple yeah. slicing his hands. I was like, okay, cool. I still touch a gore. Tasteful. Um, you, you, you know my limits are very. As soon as, soon as we turned to you, or I was like, there's going to be nothing. No, I'm sorry. It was all fun. It was all cute to me. Yeah. yeah. I didn't find any part of it particularly spooky. I just, I'm saying the part I felt what could be the spookiest was just the surrealness of that dream. Yeah. That's for me. It Yeah. It, it, none of it was like spooky, mm-hmm. like scary. Skeletons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's just more, I, it was more thinking of the discomfort, like basically imagining myself holding uh. an apple with razor blades in it and then feeling my hand go it's that sort of discomfort yeah we're watching watching a man with a fake smile and a perfect paper cap juggle a bladed apple in his bleeding hands as he walks toward you is is a little bit of a scary a scary image i think maybe one part that was just a little unsettling just in the was just like not being able to wake your parents up you know Yeah. yeah if you put yourself in the mindset of a child realizing oh there is no one to help me i am alone in this terrible situation that i don't understand that like if you put yourself in the mindset of a child that that's scary i think even as an adult that would be scary any final thoughts uh, a good middle grade novel about halloween yes was an enjoyable read don't give out toothpaste yeah no. don't don't give out brushes and toothpaste at least sugar-free gum is a step in the right direction yes well good on you mr cabler <laughs> I'm so excited for this Halloween. My goal this Halloween is I'm going to make a jack-o'-lantern head that I can wear. And then I have what is an old black butler cosplay that I'm going to wear with the jack-o'-lantern thing. But just like maybe like switch out the vest so it's a little more Halloween-y. You know, add some Halloween-y elements to it. And so I'm going to wear this jack-o'-lantern thing. I wear my my, head, my two-tail coat. I'm just going to buy double the amount of candy because I didn't get to hand out candy last year because of freaking COVID. Yep. I don't expect to get too many trick-or-treaters this year, but the ones that I do get are going to get like two handfuls, full handfuls of candy this year. That is my plan. I'm just going to grab the biggest handful of candy I can and just drop it in their bag because I love seeing their faces. (laughs) And I miss their faces last year because they're always like, oh, wow. And then they run away so excited. That's awesome. I love this. I love this too. We're probably going to end up going to dinner with my family. My more immediate family has gotten into uh, old Celtic traditions. And so we've recently started to do, um, last year we did a a celebration of Samhain on the night. And it was perfect because it was a full moon last year. Oh, yeah. Uh, Much like the full moon in the book. So we did that. And I think we're going to end up doing it again, but also still be part of the Halloween thing. Last time we wandered around um, and I was a plague doctor last year, which was fun. I'd actually planned on doing that before I knew about COVID being a thing. So but like at the end of 2019, I was like, I'm going to do a plague doctor in 2020. And then lo and behold, bad air. Um, 
<laughs> that's probably what we'll end up doing. There's there's a few other things. We've already I already feel like I've got I'm getting to do a few Halloween things this season, so it's been nice. Yeah. For November, our next book, uh, we are going a lot darker. We've gone from middle grade back to adults, and I think we're going in a cannibal direction. We are reading Tender is the Flesh by Augustina Basterica. I completely forgot what the book was about, and I was like, okay, I know it has something to do with eating flesh. And then I just remembered. So I guess the what I remember correctly is this is a scenario where you can't eat livestock anymore because it's somehow become poisonous to humans. Um, mm. So if you want meat, you're only left with one option. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm excited to read this because you all know I like those darker topics and themes. So I apologize ahead of time because I think I'm the one who pitched this one. <laughs> no, I, I'm looking forward to this. It's kind of nice after reading something a little too... Uh, Safe? Yeah, I, I need something a bit dangerous, but I, I'm glad to have read, like, a book set on Halloween for Halloween month. So. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's always the goal. Uh, if you guys are as excited about Halloween as we are, uh, follow us on uh, Creative Horror. Um, you can check us out on the Creative Horror webpage at creativehorror.com or check us out on YouTube. Just look up Creative Horror and we'll be probably the first ones you find. We, we are. We are. Awesome. <laughs> Be prepared for some exciting things ahead. Uh, we'll have our yearly Midnight Marinara as well as a uh, Midnight Snack. And then we have just started reading one of the the worst horror novels, uh, uh, The Lair of the White Worm, by one of the most infamous horror authors, Bram Stoker. <laughs> That's on Undercooked Analysis. We've started that series and we all kind of fell in love with it. So we're going to keep reading it indefinitely. I mean, we'll probably take breaks, but I don't think we're just going to, like, read two or three chapters and then stop. For those who entered into our cryptid writing challenge, uh, we will be announcing the winners at the beginning of November. So look out for that. I think that's it. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we don't have candlelight. We only have the light of the moon to guide us back home. That's good. Just be careful not to, you know, fall into that pool of stagnant water on the way. You know, the one that I keep daring you to jump into. Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinara, and this podcast is part of CreativeHorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at CreativeHorror.com. <laughs>